Hello, everybody. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to let you know that I am having a spring celebration sale on my CCRN. So right now you can buy my CCRN online program for $199. There is no code needed. You can just head over to my website at khoppypresents.com or use the link that I've provided in the description. And it is already marked down to $199 in celebration of spring. This online program is worth 30 continuing education hours, 24 7 365 lifetime access, and you'll also be getting periodic updates as they're available. So I just wanted to let you know and enjoy the podcast. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the CCRN Review Podcast Series. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Kay Hoppy, and I welcome you here. Uh, we have had 18 previous podcast episodes, so be sure if you're just joining us for the first time now that you take some time and go back and uh, listen to our other 18 uh, podcast episodes. Also, please visit my website at khoppypresents.com. For those of you that are coming back for another podcast, thank you so much for coming back again. I know it's been a while since I did my last podcast. I do teach at a local university and uh, I have been really super busy this semester. So I hopefully am in a place now where I'll be able to get into more of my podcasting uh, sequence and be able to do more podcasts on a frequent basis. I do have a couple of announcements before we get into today's podcast episode, and that is I am finishing up my CCRN Review online program, and I expect to be able to launch that in January of 2022. It's nice because you can work on this CCRN Review at your own pace. And this is based on my two-day course that I offer in hospitals or sometimes I do it online for different nursing groups or hospital hospital groups. Also, uh, along with this CCRN review online, you do get fully illustrated slides, a note-taking guide, and when all is said and done, I also have put together a mock CCRN exam at the end that you can take in preparation to sit for the exam. I would love it also if you join me on Facebook at Khoppy Presents where I am getting back into asking daily CCRN review questions. So it's kind of like the CCRN review question of the day. And so please head over there in the mornings. I put in the question and later on in the evening, I will answer the question and I encourage everybody to respond to the question each day. It's really been kind of fun. And in the evening, I will answer the question along with rationale. The last thing before our course content today is um, 
If you are interested in having a online or in-person CCRN review at your facility, or perhaps you're part of a nursing group, an AACN uh, local chapter that would like to have me come either in person or, you know, via the web and present the two-day CCRN review, I would be very happy to do that. So just contact me. My contact information is all on my website, which is khoppypresents.com. So let's get into talking about peripheral vascular disease today. And what our main focus is on is talking about peripheral arterial disease. So let's just start out with a definition. What is peripheral arterial disease? It is occlusion, whether it's total or partial occlusion, by either atherosclerotic plaque or arteriosclerosis. So we know atherosclerotic plaque. We talked about it in our section on the cardiovascular disease um, patient. And so we've already been over that, the establishment of plaque, which invades the vascular endothelium, and it starts out with vascular injury. And remember, if you recall that the way people have vascular endothelial injury most of the time is related to things such as hypertension and diabetes. And oh, by the way, those are the two porous controlled disease processes in the world. So back to definitions, atherosclerosis, a disease of the arterial system in which plaques of fatty material are deposited on the inner wall of an artery. And as we said before, we are talking vascular endothelium. Then we have arteriosclerosis. And you know what, guys? We see this most often in the elderly. So while atherosclerosis is the most common overall, arteriosclerosis happens as well. And we see it in the artery, or excuse me, in the elderly. And that's where we have an arterial occlusive disease that primarily affects the abdominal aorta as well as the small and medium-sized arteries of the lower extremity. So what are some common etiologies for this? Well, pretty much the same as for coronary artery disease. So we have smoking, hypertension is a big one, diabetes is a big one, lipid disorders, and hyperhomocysteinemia. And we did talk about that in our coronary artery disease uh, section or podcast having to do with acute coronary syndrome. But let me just remind you that the leading cause of hyperhomocysteinemia is cigarette smoking. So let's talk about one of the key features that we see with arterial disease, and that is claudication. And you know, the claudication and where the claudication is located is really going to be dependent upon where we have the narrowing or occlusion. So if we're talking about narrowing or occlusion at the aortic or iliac area, so the aortic or iliac artery, that's going to affect blood flow to the buttocks, hip, and thighs. And so now we see a patient that presents with intermittent claudication in the thigh and hip. For these patients, pain increases with exercise and decreases with rest. 
In male patients, we have issues with impotence. Patients will have cool lower extremities, hair loss over the lower extremities, as well as decreased or absent iliac or femoral pulses. You may even hear a brewery or a thrill over the iliac area. Now remember the best place to listen to the iliac arteries is listening in the lower right and left quadrant, just proximal to where you would normally feel or listen to the femoral artery. So the femoral and popliteal arteries also can be affected by atherosclerosis or arteriosclerosis, and that will affect perfusion to the thigh and calf. So these patients will present with intermittent claudication that basically affects the lower leg and it progresses to pain at rest. So these patients can have decreased sensation and paresthesias of the lower extremities, coolness of the lower extremities, hair loss, once again, over the lower extremities, pallor, mottling, and they can develop non-healing ulcers on toes or points of trauma. They can also present with decreased motor strength in the lower extremities, as well as decreased or absent femoral or popliteal pulses. You may even hear a brewy or palpate a thrill over the femoral or popliteal area. Now, just as a brief review of those terms, a brewy is something that you hear and a thrill is something that you feel. So a brewy is going to, um, you're, you're going to use the bell of the stethoscope because the bell of the stethoscope picks up low pitch sounds and a brewy is a low pitched shh, shh, shh sound that you hear over an area of, uh, occlusion. So we have turbulent flow going across that area of occlusion and that's producing a brewy. A thrill, on the other hand, is something that you palpate, something that you feel. And what it feels like is it feels like a vibratory sensation as you palpate over an artery. So uh, it almost feels like a cat purring beneath your fingertips with each systole. So that is a thrill. Now, what you typically get tested on for both the CCRN and the PCCN is the acute arterial occlusion six P's. What are the six P's of acute arterial occlusion? Well, memorize these guys. It's pain, pulselessness, pallor, paresthesia, paralysis, and polar. Of course, polar meaning temperature. Those are the six P's of acute arterial occlusion. So make sure that you know those, whether you're taking the CCRN or PCCN exam. Next, we're going to take a look at how we manage this. How do we deal with somebody that has acute arterial occlusion? Well, first of all, risk factor modification is going to become very important. So now we look at smoking, for example, and smoking cessation, diet, exercise. 
all of the same things that we considered and, and tried to uh, manage or help the patient to manage in coronary artery disease. So some other things are decreasing peripheral oxygen requirements. So if the patient has pain to stop activity when the pain occurs, maintenance of normal thermia and prevention of trauma when there's poor perfusion to an area. For acute arterial occlusion, we want to get in there and reopen that particular artery to reestablish flow. So reestablishing flow becomes very important. That might be using thrombolytic therapy, or it might be getting in there with an angioplasty, getting in there invasively and opening uh, an area that is occluded and inserting a stent in order to reestablish flow. Now, one interesting phenomenon that you can see that I, I thought was really kind of uh, neat to bring up here is the fact that sometimes when you open or stent a vessel in one leg, for example, you can find that the patient starts developing excruciating pain of the other leg. And that's because once you open the vessel on one side and you reestablish flow, that increase in flow actually steals flow from the contralateral leg. So you have a person that is doing a whole lot better um, in the original area that was occluded. So say they kind of clotted off their left leg and you get the patient to the cath lab, we reopen that vessel, okay, we remove the clot if an embolectomy is required, and then we stent the area. Now we're reestablishing flow. We've got some nice pulses over on that left side. Uh, The color's better, the temperature's better, and so on. But now this patient has excruciating pain over on the right side. Well, that's because, and it makes good sense, does it not? That as you open flow on one side, it can steal flow from the opposite side. And now you have a patient that comes in with excruciating pain in the contralateral leg. And you can see this when you're talking about, say, for example, um, stenting or grafting an iliac artery. And so we get better flow down the the side that we're actually doing surgery on. And so it's kind of stealing some of that flow from the other side. So that's just something that you want to monitor that patient for in the post-op period. Other things that we can use in order to to treat peripheral arterial disease, vasodilators can be used. For example, um, drugs in the calcium channel blocking family can be used for peripheral arterial dilation. Antiplatelet therapy becomes important because we studied this in the area or the uh, podcast on acute coronary syndrome that when you have inflammation, um, platelets come on the scene. Damage to to vascular endothelium will cause platelets to come on the scene and you can wind up ultimately clotting off a leg. Um, so uh, platelets, antiplatelet 
drugs also become very important to prevent that initial phase of hemostasis, very much like we talked about with the coronary arteries earlier. Getting the patient to exercise, we talked about angioplasty with stenting as a possible intervention. We also mentioned vascular bypass as an intervention. Um, And then last but not least, getting in there if the patient has an acute arterial occlusion and removing the embolus. So performing embolectomy can also be um, helpful in restoring flow. Well, this podcast has been a very short one. We just needed to cover peripheral arterial disease. So as you move forward with your study, the thing that you want to remember out of this section is basically that list of six P's and how we would go about treating peripheral arterial disease. Those are the key elements that you want to remember. So thank you guys for joining me today. I look forward to having you join me in future podcast episodes. And don't forget to visit my website, khoppypresents.com, and also visit me on Facebook. Take care. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.